So this morning, our call to worship was an adaptation of text from our Book of Order. For those of you unfamiliar with what the Book of Order is, for our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, we have a constitution. The Constitution is comprised of two books, the Book of Confessions, which is a compilation of confessions made by people of faith throughout history, confessions such as the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Westminster Confession, the Barman Declaration, most recently the Belhar Confession, which our denomination just adopted a few years ago, among several others. The other part of our Constitution is the Book of Order, and the Book of Order includes information about the foundations of our church, the form of government, our directory for worship, and our rules of discipline. Both of these documents are subject to revision, and a little under 10 years ago, a major revision was accepted regarding our form of government. So back to our call to worship. Um, The text that we used comes to us from our current book of order, and it describes our current understanding of the calling of the church. However, previously, in the old form of government, the calling of the church, it did have um, a couple more sections broken out. And one of the sections that we had um, that said that as the Presbyterian Church USA, we are called to risk and trust, to risk and trust. The old form of government, it said the church is called to undertake this mission, the mission of Jesus Christ in the world, even at the risk of losing its life, trusting in God alone as the author and giver of life, sharing the gospel and doing those deeds in the world that point beyond themselves, beyond ourselves as the church, to the new reality in Christ. Now I have to admit, it is a very rare occasion that I long for language of the past, particularly when it comes to religious constitutional language. But, yes, indeed. But in this case, I do miss this particular phrasing of our call as the church. It's so clear, it's so concise. I find it deeply convicting. Trusting in God alone as the author and giver of life, sharing the gospel, doing those deeds in the world that point beyond ourselves to the new reality in Christ. We, as the church, as a church, we are created and called to take great risks that we might undertake the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. How does that sit with you? Do you find it wonderfully liberating? I kind of do. Some might find it a little nerve-wracking, perhaps a little anxiety-producing. Perhaps it's a little bit both, and that's fair that it is. For some of us, the thought of taking risk makes us incredibly nervous. Calculated risks, well, they're a little bit more easily acceptable. But taking a risk that could lead to loss of life, loss of church, loss of life, that causes deep concern. It can make us want to turn on our heel and go back to what we knew before. It does. When I was in seminary, in Hebrew class, we translated the whole of the book of Ruth 
we did a deep exegetical dive into it. Because of that time that a lot of time and a lot of energy was spent in the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth holds a very special place in my heart. But I have to say that I did hear the text a little differently this week as I began preparing for this morning. Thinking back to the story that I learned 10 years ago, I had it in my mind that Ruth must have intuited more of what would happen. She must have known something, had a hope for something wonderful, to have made the decision to stay with Naomi. She must have known something. But this week, as I read the text again, I'm now not so sure. I imagine Ruth did do some calculating when she made the decision to stick with Naomi. Naomi certainly did some risk assessment work. Naomi accepted her fate. She was a childless widow, mourning the loss of her sons, the loss of her husband. She had nowhere to go except to go back to the land of her husband and sons, hoping the citizens of Judah would share their food with her. But before she took off for the land she had heard about, she turned to her two daughters-in-law, and she took stock of the risk they would be taking. The risk was not worth it to Orpah. It was to Ruth. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the rest of the story of the book of Ruth, Ruth and Naomi, they go back to Bethlehem, back to where Naomi's late husband, Elimelech, owned a small piece of property. And to make a long story short, soon after they arrived, they find a close relative to Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And when the matter of inheritance of Elimelech's property needed to be settled, Boaz knew that there was one other person who was technically the next of kin and had first right refusal on the property. So Boaz went to that next of kin and forced the question. He said, will you take Elimelech's property? And he added, in an effort to ensure the well-being of Ruth and Naomi, if you do, you also have to take Ruth as a wife. Because that would have put his own primary inheritance in jeopardy, the next of kin declined Elimelech's inheritance, and Boaz accepted it, taking the small bit of land and Ruth as his wife. And soon after they married, Boaz and Ruth, they had a son named Obed. And Obed eventually had a son named Jesse, who eventually had a son named David. And 28 generations later, the Messiah was born to Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem. Ruth took a risk. And she did so because she trusted in God's faithfulness. Her journey was not laid out for her. She did not know what would happen. She only knew that she was to stick with her vulnerable mother-in-law. Their journey was not easy nor smooth. In fact, it was downright painful and difficult at times. Ruth left all that she knew, her homeland, her family of origin, her secure path forward. But her faithfulness to God, her trust in God that God had not abandoned them, her trust in God enabled Ruth to take the risk necessary to participate in the coming of the kingdom of God. And so it is with us. Our second text for this morning, it's not an easy text for many of us. I'll warn you that. 
It is a clear and concise message that is convicting and it is challenging. It comes to us from the Gospel of Luke and it describes for the disciples and for us the so-called cost of discipleship. Jesus is speaking to the disciples and to a large crowd of followers, and rather than tell a parable, which he so often does in the Gospel of Luke, he begins to help his followers grasp the importance of trusting in God to be able to follow him faithfully. So let's get to it. I invite you to turn in your pew Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, to the 14th chapter, beginning with the 25th verse, and let us pray. God, in whom we trust, help us to hear your word. Instill in us your confidence. Instill in us the confidence you have in us to follow Jesus as he calls. Transform us with the story of your love. Amen. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus... And he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then... While the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, so therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is on the move, teaching along the way. They're moving ever closer to the time of his arrest and his eventual crucifixion. And here in this passage, Jesus takes an opportunity to speak to his followers about what it will take to truly be a disciple. And if we're honest, if we're really honest, his opener is a bit harsh to hear. He says, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. For those of us used to a Jesus of love, this kind of a text can be difficult to hear. So let's unpack it just a little bit. Jesus starts off. Jesus starts off suggesting that to be a disciple, one must love him, love God above all others, above all else. And Jesus is pretty blunt about it. Jesus goes straight to the heart first. He names that which we are prone to love the most first, our families, 
those closest to us, above the love you have for your beloved parent, your spouse, your child, above the love you have for your siblings, those who were with you from the beginning, those who will be with you to the end, above the love you might have for these, for those who give deep meaning to and in your life, you must love God, love Jesus, above all else. It's a tall order. It's a tall order that Jesus is placing here. And he goes on to explain what he means by it. See, Jesus was preparing the disciples, preparing his followers for what was to come. He was preparing them for his eventual arrest, his eventual death, his eventual ascension into glory with God. And he was starting to help them think through what was to come. At this point, it's easy to follow Jesus. It's easy to accompany him along the journey. At this point, Jesus was healing people, teaching people, spending time serving people. But Jesus knew that there would be a time that would be different. It might be a bit more difficult, more painful, more unsettling. He wanted to convey to his followers and to us that to claim love for him Our hearts were going to have to be trained on him. Our love is going to have to go beyond that which has been known before. In other words, to glimpse the glory of God, we're going to have to love like we've never loved before. So he describes these two scenarios. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with 10,000, to oppose one who comes with 20,000? Think ahead. Think ahead, Jesus suggests. Think about what it means to be my disciple. You've been listening to me. You've been walking with me. You've been bearing witness to the love of God at work in the world. Things are not always going to be like this. Our work together is not always going to look exactly like this. This is good. And this is for a time. Life will change. Times will change. The change, it doesn't need to be bad. Change is not a good cause to lose faith, to lose heart. It might feel like that at some times, though. Remember, the kingdom of God is drawing near. Remember, can you, can you imagine loving me, even in the difficult times? Can you imagine going places beyond what you know? If you are to be my disciples, consider the risks you might need to take to love God and to love the world with abandon. Will you let your heart be open? Will you let your heart be open beyond the boundaries you've experienced? Can you imagine living into the mystery of faith? Think ahead, Jesus suggests. Will you allow me to bring you into the work of building up the kingdom of God? Think about it. These questions, 
this articulation of what will be required for discipleship, it applies to us still today. Still today, we are called to undertake the mission of Jesus Christ in the world, even at great risk, trusting in God alone as the author and the giver of life. We as children of God, as followers of Jesus, we are created for and called to trust in God alone. And in doing so, boldly share the gospel, doing the deeds in the world that point beyond ourselves to the new reality of abiding and abundant love in Christ. In this time and place, in this day and age, we are called to take the risk. Considering the factors of faithfulness, we are called to take the risks necessary to love and serve God, to love and serve God's people. This is a tall order that Jesus makes. It's a tall order. It requires us to love deeply, perhaps more sacrificially. It requires us to expand the boundaries of our hearts beyond what we've known. It requires us to be vulnerable, to be oriented towards those most vulnerable in our world. To be a disciple, Jesus suggests, will mean choosing to remain with Naomi, choosing to remain with the mourning mother, with the grieving widow, choosing to remain with the immigrant, with the poor, with the disenfranchised. It will mean choosing to trust God alone, the author and giver of life, that we might more fully, more genuinely participate in the work of building up the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Church, the creating God among us calls us to be a community of love where sin is forgiven, where reconciliation is accomplished, and where the dividing walls of hostility are torn down. We gather here to be a community of witness, pointing beyond ourselves through word and work to the good news of God's transforming grace in Jesus Christ. As individuals and as a community, May we be so bold, may we be so bold to trust in God alone and to take the risk, to take the risk of being called disciples of Jesus. Amen.